Hello and welcome back to Retromancer Episode 3. I'm Nate. And I'm Steve. It's been a little bit too long since we posted our last episode, but that's because we've been working very hard on improving the podcast. So what have we got, Steven? Okay, so new logo. Uh, and then we're also on a few different platforms. So like Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and of course Podbean. And we're going to be hopefully getting on Apple Podcasts soon. Awesome. So yeah, we had a few people asking about uh, getting on other platforms. And so it took a bit of research and a little bit of work, um, but we got those pushing out there now. So hopefully uh, those are available for everyone's listening enjoyment. So Nate, what do you want to talk about this week? All right. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about this time, Steve, is I just wanted to talk about uh, some of the decks that we've been playing and some of the stuff that we found. So I know... Um, You've been trying a lot of really cool deck ideas. I mean, uh, how do you, first of all, how do you, how do you come up with, where do you find these decks? Okay. I, I'm really terrible at deck building. And so what I always have done is kind of peruse. I stand on the shoulders of giants, Nathan, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Netrunner DB is my go-to source of Netrunner decks. And I typically will uh, peruse all the startup decks we've got because that's kind of what you and I have sort of been just experimenting with is the more limited card pool. Mm -hmm. And uh, I find a deck that I think is a fun concept. And uh, a lot of times you just take what they have and we play a few games with uh, some different decks that we found. Um, and then what I like, I might go back and revisit and tweak. Um, and that's sort of how I explore the card pool. I, I feel like I'm, I get more enjoyment of just playing like a really solid deck with a really cool concept versus tinkering with something that takes a long time to refine. Yeah, and that's just my personal preference. What about you? Um, so like, it's kind of funny that you you uh, you know I I don't think. So we should talk about net decking because this is an important part of, of playing card games. And it kind of, you know, people, especially in constructed card games, care a lot about uh, building decks. And that's, I mean, that's the dream, right? Is you, you want to build a deck, right? And then you want to make something original and you want it to be good. And, um, and I, you know, I respect that. I think a lot of times people kind of hate on, on net decking because they... They're working really hard to try to make something original, and when a person you know net decks, they 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 get all of that value for free, um, uh, and then they get crushed, and and you know that's a that's a really bad feeling. You know you want to be rewarded for your creativity. Um, my perspective on it is that, you know, um, creative or not, you know, every deck is going to be standing on the shoulders of giants in some way or another, right? So. This is gonna sound maybe a little um, too reduced, but I kind of I kind of feel like, um, you know, you're you're either going to refine it uh, using knowledge that you've acquired from playing the game from other people, or or you can kind of kind of just come to the same solution because you know you, thousands and thousands of games have been played by other people um, to come to you know the same conclusion. Um, and so, you know, I kind of feel like it doesn't really matter how you get there, um, as long as you get there. And personally, I feel like, you know, that can definitely be embraced as a way to, um, enhance your own personalized deck building. Right. So my perspective 
for at least when I'm building custom decks, which I'm I'm not, um, I'm not always. I mean, I'll go ahead and uh, I'll look for packages of cards that work together, like an econ package for you know like HB or something like that. And I'd be like, okay, these cards all work together, and it's very it's a portable set of cards, um, and uh, and so I can kind of import you know sort of whatever package I want, um, and then that way I don't have to you know do as much work to try to get to my creative solution. Um, and I don't really feel like it necessarily, um, you know, hurts the build. And ultimately what you end up having to do is having to make creative compromises anyway, in order to make the build work. Um, so, uh, so my position is that, um, you know, net decking is actually really important and I do really highly recommend it for a lot of players. I understand people that, uh, you know, want to build their own custom decks, and that is fantastic. And I would say that one great way to build successful custom decks is to familiarize yourself with successful card combinations by playing other people's decks. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good uh, good take. And I've I've just never felt confident when I've been building my own decks. I often get like just in the deck creation phase of like, ah, these agendas are terrible or this combination of cards, <laughs> I can't imagine working. So a lot of times I'm just like, it's way easier just to find something else that someone else has made. And I also, you know, I don't have as much time as I used to. Yeah. I'm a little older. Yeah, I we're older now. I can't stay up all night. Oh, man. I mean, you know... <laughs> we can put never next. <laughs> people, people get inspiration from different places, you know? And mm -hmm. so, like, some people get inspiration by, like, looking through the cards and they see a card and they go, I want to build a deck around this one card. And, like, you know, that's, yeah. that kind of almost never happens. Like, like, the game doesn't really allow you to build a deck focused on one card because ultimately there's going to be a lot of things interacting and obviously a card can be a highlight, but um, you're never going to reach a point where like that's, that's the pinnacle of the deck. I guess there are some, there are some uh, Johnny cards out there, if that's the right term, uh, that, that meet that criteria. I mean, you know, they got better over time. Government takeover was definitely that way. <laughs> yeah. Um and now it's banned, man. It's oh, banned. Oh no, when Jake that's, when Jake yeah. becomes real. <laughs> uh yeah, so I think it's uh I think it's if you're inspired by looking looking through the cards and wanting to build a deck around it, that's awesome. Um yeah. if you're inspired by looking at other people's decks and be like, oh yeah, I see what's going on here and I want to play that, then like play it. That's awesome. And if yep. you go, oh, cool i want to try it but with this you know alteration or i you know i want to try something completely different tweak. you know you should play i think i think every player should play what inspires them and if that makes their decks absolutely terrible then i think they should do that too like that's great that's really mm -hmm. what playing these these games is about uh you know it's, it's yeah. a customizable card game the, the fun is is doing what inspires you and if the gameplay inspires you that's awesome if being competitive inspires you that's awesome and if you know uh copying other people's decks inspires you then that's fantastic and you should never be ashamed of that yeah well uh another thing i was thinking of is just uh it's way in especially in the startup format there's only so many combinations of cards you can have right there's uh -huh. only so many like different deck archetypes that'll work um 
you know, especially with like some the faction like Jinteki, where there's seemingly only enough pieces to maybe make a good personal evolution deck and not some of the other IDs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hopefully that'll change in the next uh, uh, Nisei block of cards that comes out. But, you know, sometimes you just you just can't make a deck that exposes, you know, that the corpse is revealing things that's going to function, right? Uh -huh. uh, as well. Um, especially in that more limited format. But I'm not ashamed to just play lots of cool decks that other people come up with. And oftentimes I'm like tempted by one card include i'm like wow that's a really cool splash that would be fun to surprise nathan with or you know <laughs> just, just <laughs> have uh in the deck kind of in your back pocket nate i have a surprise for you oh really is it something new and interesting it is it's yes. an urtica cipher steven it's always an urtica every time we have this conversation <laughs> it's just an urtica cipher and you're like yeah. you didn't expect it was urtica again <laughs> I tricked you. No, uh, so also, I guess, uh, really, uh, kind of easy transition here is just sort of into what startup decks have you enjoyed? I, I think you and I have kind of been just doing a little net decky, trying out different archetypes, yeah. experimenting on our own a little bit. Yeah. What's something like? What's a a corp deck uh, that you've really enjoyed? Um. All right. I want to talk about mine, but actually, before I talk about mine, I want to talk about yours, um, because okay, okay. because mine's interesting. But um, but we were talking a little bit about yours, and I want to and I want to uh, keep it while it's fresh on my mind. So you made a near Earth hub deck that was based around. I'm sorry, you didn't make it. You found it. Uh, so so found so, it so, exactly, uh, yeah. so whose deck was it? So on Netrunner DB, I uh, hopefully pronounce this right. It's Bowlesley. Uh, he had a startup deck called Near Earth Flop and was really fun. It was centered around um, asset spam, like you normally do in Near Earth Hub, but he leaned into fully operational and some other HP splashes like Drafter in Corporate Troubleshooter to really leverage this like kind of econ warfare where he goes really wide, lots of assets, the runner has to trash the assets or you just, you make all the money in the world uh -huh. or you're using your um, uh, sand sands to fast advance. So he, you know, said in his deck explanation, go really wide, but also start icing up each server so you can have really amazing fully operationals. Um, where and that, that's where you need one card installed in the server and one, at least one ice protecting that server. And every, for every, um, instead of those, the card automatically gives you two credits or two cards, and then you get to repeat it for every remote with at least one card in it and one ice protecting it. So when you've got five one ice servers with one card inside them that go off, you know, that's cards and money. That's a lot of money. Um, and that keeps fueling your, your resing and more assets and, and advancing more cards. Um, so fully operational gives you uh, it, it costs one and then it gives you two credits. What is it? It's two credits or two cards. Two cards. Um, yeah. For each remote server that has at least one ice and one thing inside of it. That's mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Now, uh, you know the, uh, the interesting thing about this is because it's it's not doing the standard near Earth hub thing where you just go iceless. You know. Um, yeah. And it's also not doing the other kind of sort of 
maybe standard rule of Netrunner, which is, um, you know, you want you want to stack your ice as a corp. You you want to kind of build um, one taxing server because ultimately the idea is is you want the runner to run through each ice multiple times, right? You pay for it once. And then it remains res. That's one of the qualities of Netrunner. And then, uh, and then you want to force the runner to run through it multiple times. And one of the best ways to do that is to put a must trash asset behind multiple pieces of ice or an agenda, force them to run through multiple pieces of ice over and over and over again. And this kind of forgoes that strategy as well. And it's kind of trying to live in this middle ground. Um, uh, exactly. Which is interesting. Um, and a lot of cards like, you know, had campaigns give you drippy con and there's tiered subscriptions which are free to res but the first time a run begins on a turn you gain a credit so and they're so, uh, what zero three yeah, <clears throat> yeah zero, zero to res, three, three to yeah. trash and they always they're always going to get you one exactly but when you've got it behind a gold farmer which is in band and startup or even a wraparound or a toll booth. Well, toll booth is kind of the exception, but like uh, a drafter, let's say, they're spending two to three to get in, and then they've got to trash an asset. And if you've got other tiered subscriptions, you're making money, and they're spending a lot of money. You know, three to five to trash, two to get in. Yeah. You're making one to two. That's kind of a big swing. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes they don't have time to check every remote. You don't have to res all your assets right away or, you know, have your San res your Sans End City grid till you need it. So maybe they picked the wrong server. You res a Sans End City grid, you fast advance a license and acquisition, and suddenly you've got another asset that they just trashed back out there, you know, gaining you License acquisition's a, a 1-3 that installs and reses an upgrade or an asset from archives, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, one three agenda, um, and I see it's also running uh, daily business show as well. Uh, so you can definitely go for the long game by burying your agendas, because uh, it lets you look at two and put one on the bottom of your deck. Um, so that's a classic, you know, stalling NBN card, or really any faction, to be honest. Yeah. Um. So I think you know what people's thoughts on, on something like this right is uh i guess i wanted to make a comment about efficiency because this is what people would say when you when you propose i want to make a near earth hub with fully operational and people would say well why would you know they the, the abilities interfere with each other because near earth hub does not draw you an extra card if you are installing into an existing server with an ice and so someone might say well you're you're kind of foregoing your near earth hub ability in order to kind of aim for this big fully operational late game and uh, and that's less efficient and obviously you know as a you, you want your deck to be as efficient as possible efficiency is speed which means you can win faster and more consistently um, when your opponent give your opponent less time to react to you um, and so they might say you know that's a bit of a nombo you shouldn't play those two cards together um, but I think there might be a credible argument around saying, you know, I, I'm foregoing some of the efficiency of Near Earth Hub and the efficiency that I do gain from fully operational more than compensates for what I lost, uh, especially mm -hmm. when you consider the uh, the extra tax. And I mean, this is, you know, I'm saying this hypothetically. I'm, I'm saying yeah. I'm saying you can't necessarily, uh, you shouldn't just necessarily dismiss it because the cards don't seem to work together. Um, sometimes the value you yeah. get... Sometimes the value that you get 
uh, exceeds the value that you lose, right? So maybe Nerith Hub allows you to uh, draw the cards, you know, with its ability early game as you install a bunch of servers, which gets you the ice and the fully operational so that you can just play fully operational even sooner. Uh, yes. and that, I mean, that's great. Um, so that's cool. I thought that was a really cool deck. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, and you were kind of playing a good stuff criminal, if I remember right, deck against me. So you were having, even though you're a criminal and making lots of money, uh, I think it was a Zaya deck, you're having to turn all that money back into trashing assets. Yeah, I even got penny shavers. So I thought I was going to be in a really solid position, but, um, uh yeah i felt like i felt like that particular deck i might not have been um as familiar with kind of the the econ price point that that deck is set for because mm -hmm. it every time i've played it it's felt just a little like poorer than i was comfortable with mm. uh and that might it's not like be a, 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 a deck design flaw i mean i do probably put too much money in my deck in my in my deck designs but uh, part of the reason is because I don't I don't like to have to think about I, I like to give myself a little extra wiggle room, you know, and that makes me feel confident. You know, I feel confident knowing that maybe I can spend some extra money now to deal with the threat, knowing that I'll be able to get more later. Um, and so it's been yeah. it's been that that particular deck has been a little bit tough for me and I've played it a couple more times. But yeah, you basically uh, you text me out and then and then I couldn't do anything and then you won. Feels great, Steven. Well, it, I, I would say that you it wasn't just like you didn't steal things, though. I think you were on five or six points at the end of the game. So it still was a very, you know, well-fought game on both sides. Yeah, I mean, I, it's still it's still not even remote. Like, you know, it, it's it's a complete world away from the, the terrors of the horizontal decks that we lived through uh, a few years ago near the end of Netrunner's life. It was just... You know, it was it was about the infinite cases where you know I'm gonna I'm gonna recur my entire deck uh, until I get yeah. you know um, until I get that one net damage card out that you know just slowly whittle away your deck and and you just can't deal with the 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 value over time. Those were awful. I hated yeah. those. And, oh, brutal. Uh, and so, the, the, but they've reduced the recursion very significantly, making these feel a lot more balanced. And then ultimately, uh, the horizontal decks really just kind of come down to sort of like a, a value price point. Like either mm -hmm. runner decks have the money to be able to deal with them or they don't. And if they don't, then uh, they need to be able to exercise the value they get from their other cards, uh, you know. So they're not running as many econ cards, but they are running multi-access and they need to utilize that as effectively as possible. Uh, one card that really does kind of burn me a little bit is daily business show that card is mm -hmm. so good um and it just gets you you know uh yeah. you don't realize that you're like i ran centrals i got accesses i installed my rdi i ran and i just and i didn't see any agendas all game uh and you're like yep well yeah. daily business show gotcha draw yep. two of them draw three cards bury one of them it's an agenda you know whatever um yeah. so that's a big one it's still oh my gosh it's just it's oh it's reminding me of <laughs> global food initiative exchange of information just the the most terrible controlling the message decks it just it's 
it feels incredible to to be playing against something that's not that. <laughs> I'm so happy. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> you were like, you'd be like, ah, three news teams in the bin, and now you're gonna swap those for this two one that I can click to put back in my deck and then rescore it. And ah, you have three GFIs, but I'm just gonna triple exchange them and win the game. And you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> um, double exchange, whatever. That was the best. Yeah. But there's nothing like that right now, so your trauma. No, I'm so, I'm so happy. You know, it's it's really is it's a really fine line of you know where mm -hmm. you want the decks to live. Yeah. So that's cool. And, and yeah, and I think with startup, there's definitely you know, you can still have cards that in standard like gold farmer might be too good, like too that tax is too high in Oof. standard with other yeah. cards. But in but in startup, at least that the deck's not powerful enough to like completely break you with I all mean, the different parts they can run. Basically what that's saying is that the rest of the faction on its own isn't strong enough to stand on its own. So it's going to get a super powerful card to compensate for its otherwise kind of maybe weaker cards. And that's justifiable considering the limited card pool. Yeah. Oh, shoot. We're almost out of time. Um, oh. Should I talk about my deck or? Uh, yes. I would love I, I maybe. I don't know if we have time. Maybe we could split this up and we could do two corp decks we really liked. Next episode, we could do two runner decks we really enjoyed. So what what's the corp deck you really enjoyed that we played? All right. So um, so I was looking for a uh, I was looking for a deck that leveraged um, scoring and kill conditions um, because mm -hmm. I've always really liked that as a design element of corp decks. I I've always really disliked singular win condition um corp decks and that doesn't necessarily mean including kill but the the idea is is that um the more you i i don't want to make any of my plans um you know impossible to deal with but the more you lean in to try to stop one it enables the other um and mm -hmm. i i really like that as a design element it's a bit of a yin and a yang um in the design and uh and, and i love that so the old Wayland kill decks were very much like that, um, where you were leveraging a kill condition until the runner got enough money and they got their rig set up. And then uh, you tried to rush out a scoring condition um, ahead of time. And that was the super modernism way. Uh, and that doesn't really right. exist anymore. And I think that's fine because, you know, that's, pr that's a pretty tired archetype, honestly. Um, so, uh, so I did some digging um, and I found this deck called Double Barrel. Um, and basically it's, so I've discovered in the startup format, you basically have the only way to really kill the runner is with combinations of, of Neurospike and Punitive Counter-Strike. So I've seen some HB decks that basically try to tax you out with only three point agendas. And then, mm -hmm. um, they either score them behind a giant mountain of ice or you steal them and then they kill you with Punitive. Um, and that's cool. I, uh, I, I, I like that, I guess. Um, and so this is a Jinteki personal evolution deck um, that uses Neurospike and Punitive Counter-Strike and three-point agendas um, in order to sort of leverage this double wing condition. And since it's Jinteki, you've obviously got the whole like Urtica Cypher thing going on too. Uh, so you can yeah. kind of be bluffing them as, a, as, a, as agendas or as traps. Um, and it also runs Vulnerability Audit, which is a 4-3. Um, and that enables Neurospike pretty significantly. 
Uh, it's also mm-hmm. got it's also got overriders, snares, urticas. Um, so it's just kind of like the closest thing I could find. Um, oh wait, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong deck. <laughs> it's all good. Which one is it? Here we go. Oh no 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 no! I'm sorry, I was totally reading. I was reading a deck I made. <laughs> it's yeah, got, it's it got everything I've dreamed of. Yeah, um, by Sir Loathing. Yeah, so it's got it's got a uh, yes yes by uh by Sir Loathing, and so it's got vulnerability audit. Um, and then you've got your punitive counter strikes and you've got uh neuro spikes as well um mm-hmm. and so you've got sprints in there to help you sort of kind of accelerate your deck without kind of flooding you with too many agendas too quickly because one of the biggest weaknesses to a punitive counter strike deck is the runner steals too many agendas too fast and then you kind of it turns off the condition you, um you you yeah. you have to be able to win with punitive when the runner scores um and so delaying that as long as possible is great. And then it also has Anuidic, uh to kind of leverage into a actual win. Um, and it's got uh, Lacosta Grid. So um, I think that combos really well with the Neural Spike condition. Mm-hmm. Um, because with Neural Spike, what you, uh, it says uh, do X net damage where X is equal to the sum of printed agenda points on agendas you scored this turn. So... Yeah. Uh, you could theoretically, if you had a um, agenda that was one advancement away, you could advance, score, neurospike, neurospike, and if it was a three-pointer, you'd get six damage and win. Um, so that's cool. So yeah, it's it's called double barrel, right? Because you've got you've got your punitive yeah. and you've got your neurospike, and it's really two distinct win. One of them one of them punishes the runner when they steal, and then one of them punishes the runner when they don't steal, and that's a a cool sort of uh, way to leverage s- sort of the same thing in two different ways, uh, you know, kind of punishing the runner for, for inaction and punishing the runner for action. And and that, I love corp decks that do that. You know, I, I feel like it's yeah. hard to make a successful corp deck that doesn't punish the runner. Uh, you, if, I feel like every corp deck needs to punish the runner for not running because um, I think, I think it's really up to it, the corp to sort of put the onus on the runner and make the game happen. Um, otherwise, runner can just sit there and they can just build their rig and they can do whatever they want. They can have a great time. And it's, you know, you need to put pressure on them um, yeah. in order to be able to win. And, and you know, uh, threatening scoring is kind of one of the main ways to do that. Uh, and if you can accentuate that threat of scoring with uh, a kill condition as well, that's pretty cool. Oh yeah, and I think the uh, it's one of those decks where normally you don't see someone running Sprint and Spin Doctor, um, but I thought that was a really cool like you actually need to find some sort of kill, right? So having all that spare draw in Chinteki is really important, and also filtering where you can put cards back into your yeah. HQ, like you the put snares, snares that have off. Yeah. Put your snares that have you drawn, you know, two of your three snares. Well, maybe you draw three and you put one back in, and oh, you found your punitive too. So, yeah, um, there's some interesting um, ways to in startup where there's limited ways to put things back in your deck. So, yeah, and I actually want to take kind of a moment to just talk about um, how good of a card sprint is. Like, yeah, I wow. really enjoyed it when I played it. What a what a fantastic design! Zero cost, draw three, shuffle two cards from HQ into R and D, um, and like one of the one of the biggest sort of 
uh, specters, uh, elephants in the room of Netrunner has mm-hmm. been Jackson Howard, right? And how yeah. overpowered Jackson Howard was, but at the same time, how necessary he was because the inconsistency of the corp um, contributes to a high amount of variance in uh, in the playing of Netrunner. Um, mm-hmm. And so he was so critical to early decks, and you could you could do a lot with him. You could use him to accelerate your game. You could use him to stall, yeah, by shuffling your agendas uh, back into R and D. And every time you draw them, you just mm-hmm. shuffle them back in, and that buys you time to draw things that aren't agendas and advance your win condition. And so there have been a number of cards to replace Jackson Howard. Spin Doctor is one, um, and Sprint is one, and uh, you know sometimes. Uh, especially for the corp, your cards are very strongly typed. They're they're yeah. more specific and less versatile, uh, and it's important that you get them in the order you need them. Mm-hmm. And so Sprint helps you do that. Gets rid of the cards you don't want. And in addition to that, it draws cards. Um, and so it's kind of like, hey, I'm going to... Uh, I mean, technically, you're going to net one card ahead, excluding the the discards um you you drew the sprint itself and then you spent an action instead of drawing to play sprint and it draws you three cards so really you're yeah. you're a net card up and that's that's ignoring the two that you put back yeah. um but yeah it just gives you a little gas you know it's like a diesel for the corp and it's a diesel you don't have to feel bad uh about playing and that just feels fantastic and it enables so many archetypes it enables slow decks it enables fast decks um and i just and i just love that i think that um giving corpse more control over their draws i i think is a really really valuable thing so i'm really pleased yeah. by that card yeah and, and i another one that was fun was i think you had predictive planogram or the deck already had predictive planogram in it and i had already hit a snare and had to draw up because I was worried about punitive, I believe, or, you know, neurospike. So oh, yeah. I didn't clear the tag. And you were like, well, I guess I'm getting three money and drawing three cards. So that was a fun, another little moment of like, aha, that's a really neat card in this deck. Yeah, the planogram, I uh, originally thought I was just going to wait for the value. And um, not waiting for the value was one of the best decisions I made with that card. It's mm-hmm. just like, dude... It's okay to just use it to draw three cards, or it's okay to just use it to gain three credits. Um, and if you get the runner tagged, which is super rare, like that's awesome. I mean, you get the mega value, but uh, but don't be afraid to play it for three card draw. And when I started doing that, my uh, corp deck started performing way better uh, yeah. because it's just it's gas, uh, and it gets whatever it is you're trying to do. And as the corp, you're trying to do what you can do faster than the runner can stop you. Yeah, and that's that's the yeah. name of the game definitely uh was mean i think uh this was the fastest loss i've had uh but you know don't install things and then run into an hq with multi-access that's the lesson right don't and don't like work in techie yeah yes important <laughs> lessons don't like work to techie don't like work in techie come on steven i thought i thought you knew that it was a wake-up call. I was like, well... You're like, this isn't going to happen to me. <laughs> That's what they always say. It won't happen yeah. to me. <laughs> yep. Snare, snare, agenda, death. You were, was, you were unlucky was, that day. I think I even drew up. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, 
you know, and terrifying. Uh, in that other part of, I think the second game we played, I stole a vulnerability on it, and you had, I think, the turn before celebrity gifted a punitive, and I, you know, foolishly stole an agenda or like multi-accessed uh, R and D. So that was another fun moment of, can I get enough money to avoid a punitive? And you were just like. I think like predictive planogram, hedge fund, punitive, just dead. <laughs> yeah, I, I used I I needed the money from planogram, so I, uh, but I had it, so I, yeah, I I had the planogram, and then I top deck a hedge fund in addition to that, so I had more than enough to land uh, a punitive that turn, which was awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was a fun game. Uh, I definitely the double, like damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of situations are. De- uh, it's it's definitely like a really as the core player you're like <laughs> I'm the bad guy you know it's really uh, hard to do it's really yeah. hard to pull off yeah. uh, a, a lot of the time it's like a dream but um... yes sometimes it happens and then you know in retrospect knowing that this deck has so few assets um, that's another like when you first play against the deck you just don't quite know you know. Is that an Urtica cipher? No, it's probably just an agenda. <laughs> I mean, there's only there's only three in the deck. There's only three exactly. Urticas, and there's six agendas. Yeah, yeah, yep. So anyway, um, so yeah, the, definitely some fun corp decks we've been playing. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. I did want to talk about runner decks, but I guess we can do that next time. Yeah, we'll do it. We won't wait a month, but we will talk about it soon. Looking forward to it. Bye, everyone. Bye.